So it is a, uh, a pleasure to be here with you all this Lord's Day evening. Um, I'm Josh Reagan. I'm the associate pastor at West, Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood. Um, and, and I'm encouraged by your faithful gospel witness in the community and also your connection with our congregation because I know y'all love our people and our people, they, they love y'all. And so we look forward to future partnerships and future ministry together. So before we go into any further, let's go to the, the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. <clears throat> Father, we come to you as the, the sheep of, of your pasture. Sheep that need help. We need guidance from your word. And so I ask you to, to we ask you to bless the preaching of the word this evening, that you would make it effectual that you would conform us into the image of Christ this day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so tonight we'll be in Psalm 116, so if you would turn there with me. <clears throat> and I think it's, it's fitting that we are in a psalm of Thanksgiving, since uh, Thanksgiving's rapidly approaching. It'll be here before we know it. A wonderful time to give thanks and to remember the Lord for what He's done in our lives and He's continuing to do in our lives. And this is what we see the psalmist doing here in Psalm 116. So let's read God's word. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I'll call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of, all of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so in this psalm, Tonight, we're, we're going to see a disciple's declaration. We're going to see a declaration of love, a declaration of praise, and one of devotion. And then lastly, we're going to see this psalm as a declaration of Jesus Christ and how it relates to him. And so first, in, in verses 1 and 2, we see this as a disciple's declaration of love. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas uh, for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him 
as long as I live. And it's helpful to remember that this psalm is in a collection of psalms that, that are called the Hillel Psalms that start with Psalm 113 and end with Psalm 118. And these would have been utilized by God's people during the celebration of the Passover. And so they would read these psalms and sing them. And so looking back and remembering God's powerful deliverance of his people from the Egyptian captivity. You know, as far as the narrative goes, when you, when you think back to Exodus, it would begin with God hearing the groans of his people. They would cry out to the Lord and it, he would bend his ear and hear and remember his covenant with Abraham. And so this disciple is saying that he loves the Lord because the Lord listens. He hears our voice. He hears our cries for mercy. This is true, right? When we pray, we're not praying to the ceiling. We're praying to the, to the living God that hears prayer. And this declaration of love is one that comes from every disciple of Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul, he said, If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Peter said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And then we think of Augustine who said, All who do not love God are strangers and antichrists. They might come to churches, but they cannot be numbered among the saints. Now I know there are some in here, as you hear these things, as, as we read this, these first few verses, and you might be thinking to yourself, Josh, right now I'm just not, I'm not overflowing with love for the Lord. You may be thinking this, I love my things, I love my family, but my love for the Lord is waning. And as I was thinking through this, sadly, I can relate to that. That, that there are times when I don't have this love that's, that's bubbling up in me, a love for the Lord that I see here in the psalmist. You know, we see throughout the scriptures a warning. Jesus gave a warning that said that there were going to be days where love would grow cold towards God. We see examples of love growing cold in the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, a church that was doctrinally sound, but they had left their first love. And so what do we do? Mark Jones, in his book titled The Pilgrim's Regress, he says, we tend to grow cold in our love towards God. And one of the reasons that we do this is because we forget to think of his goodness towards us. To the degree that we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we will love God. Our union with Christ will lead us to a love that both has its satisfaction and goodwill towards God. Our ability, to, our ability to express such love is not from ourselves, of course, but we are lovers of God because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is the spirit of love. And so y'all, just like this psalmist, I know everyone in here who's a Christian, you can say to some degree, I love the Lord. You know that deep down because you have the spirit of love in you. And we love the Lord because he first loved us. As the Apostle John said, it's not that we've loved God, but that he's loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. We love God because he has done something for us and because he has done something in us. And think about this. The, the psalmist loves here because he, the Lord hears prayer. We love because the Lord hears prayer and he's redeemed us. Why does the Lord love you? Because. Because he chose to set his affection on you in Christ Jesus. 
And so may this fan into flame the burning embers of, uh, embers of your love for him. He has heard your plea for mercy. He has kept you to this day and will keep you forevermore. So we see the disciples' declaration of love. Now let's see his declaration of praise. As we see here in verses 3 and 4, the psalmist was in a bad way. He's in dire straits, right? It says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I I suffered distress and anguish. And we don't know the specific scenario of what's going on here in Psalm 116, but we know from Genesis chapter 3 to the end of Revelation that the Lord's people suffer distress and anguish. We go through pain in this life, through famine and war and wilderness wanderings and the cycles of sin and judgment and salvation, familial strife, the united kingdom, the divided kingdom, exile, and the return. And this is just the Old Testament witness, but when you look at the New when you look at the New Testament and you think of the apostles and the lives that they lived and the persecution that they faced, and then you think of our Lord Jesus Christ himself and what he endured. And then you look throughout church history, and then you think of your own life. And I don't know most of you in here, but I know living in a fallen world, we go through a lot. We go through a lot. We can attest to difficulties. We, through much tribulation shall enter the kingdom. And so where do we go? To whom do we turn? We turn to the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God who hears prayer. The Apostle Paul, he said that he and others had felt as though they had received the sentence of death so that they would rely on God who raises the dead. And so difficulties and weakness lead us to our knees And we cry out to God in prayer and in praise of who he is. And so this is where we see the psalmist praising the Lord. Who is this Lord? He's the gracious one. The Lord is gracious. He gives to us abundantly. His storehouses never run empty. He gives and gives and lacks nothing. He's none the poorer because of the things that he gives to us. He is gracious. The Lord is righteous. There is no darkness in him at all. Every word of the Lord proves true. Only perfection, true to his word. Our God is merciful. We don't get what our sins deserve. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. And we declare his praise for these attributes. Just as we see the psalmist declaring his praise. And so then, the psalmist says, in verse 6, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Isn't this, if you're a Christian in here, isn't this your story? No matter where you find yourself tonight, think back on your life. Think back on the times when God has heard your cries, your pleas for mercy. And he's answered that prayer. I mean, typically it's easy to forget these things because oftentimes uh, the prayer doesn't come immediately. 
or it's not in the shape in which we wished, or we ask wrongly for our own pleasures, and the Lord doesn't give us what would ruin our souls. But I think if we, if we think back through our life and the times where we've cried out to the Lord, we know He has answered our prayers. Think back to how He pursued you through His people, through a preacher, through a mother, a father, a grandparent, a nurse. He came to me, He came after me in a hospital. I was there detoxing off opiates. I was going to go into my third rehab. And here comes a nurse, a servant of the Lord, and she shares the good news with me and stirs me up to think about God, the things of God. I was brought low, and he saved me. You were brought low, and he saved you. We cannot sit upon the throne, our own little throne, and play God and claim to worship him at the same time. In his kindness, he brings us low to lift us up. And now we declare his praise, just like this psalmist. And I was, as I was thinking through this, um, I was thinking of, of this example here recently. If some of you have seen the clip of the uh, U.S. national team, the women's national team uh, soccer player, Megan Rapino. Um, I try to avoid as much as I can of her and her speaking, but I saw this clip where she was playing in her last game. It was her last game of her career, and she ruptures her Achilles or something, gets hurt in the first few minutes. And she's sitting there being interviewed, and she says, I'm not a religious person, but I can tell you now that there's not a God or this wouldn't have happened to me. And it's amazing that she's still breathing But isn't that the height of pride? Not not noticing that being brought low should actually lead you to the Lord. And it's a good thing to be wounded, that you could be brought to the Lord. But someone who who is, you know, their, their heart is hardened. That hardens them all the more. And I listened to these two men were uh, discussing that interview, and one of them said, you know, she failed to remember the, the ability to even be able to play pro soccer and the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that she had earned in that process and not once had given thanks to the Lord for any of that. And this isn't, I'm not saying this just to rip on her, but this is a sign I believe in in someone who has been humbled by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when they can say, I was brought low. And you can see you're humbled to where you call out to God. So we need to remember this truth. We need to declare this truth to ourselves. You know, when we are run down and beat down in life, in a state of inner turmoil, we need to make this declaration to ourselves. The psalmist says to himself in verse 7, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You know, there is a talking to yourself that's actually okay. You know, I was raised, we, we weren't going to talk to ourselves. I was told not to. That, that's strange. But this, this speaking to yourself is actually a good thing. You know, you think of the psalmist here and then uh, in Psalm 103, where they say, bless the Lord, O my soul. They're talking to their soul. They're saying, bless the Lord. 
forget not all his benefits. They're preaching a sermon to themselves. And that's what the psalmist here is doing. Say, return, O my soul, to your rest. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So some of us in here, or all of us, we need to preach that sermon to ourselves. We need to be reminded of this. Like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, he spoke of this in his sermons on spiritual depression and in his book um, titled Spiritual Depression. Basically, he said we must wake up each day and begin preaching to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves because oftentimes the, thought, the thoughts that we're listening to have just originated from ourselves and they're not based on truth. And so we need to preach to ourselves. The Israelites, they were delivered from the angel of death by covering the doorpost with the blood. They were delivered through the Red Sea. Many times we see individuals and the people as a whole delivered when they turn to the Lord and cry out to Him. And in Christ, the Lord has delivered our souls from death, our eyes from tears, our feet from stumbling, and we will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And in a sense, we're already doing that here tonight. Here we are, the living, worshiping the one true God. And we will one day walk around with one another in the new heavens and the new earth, in the presence of God, in a glorified body, with the saints gone before us. And this calls for a declaration of love and praise. Then we see the disciples' declaration of devotion in the remaining verses. You know, verses 10 and 11, we see the, 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 the psalmist uh, declares their trust in the Lord. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. And here we see that this affliction has prompted something uh, where, where the, the psalmist actually speaks hastily here, where he declared all mankind, mankind liars. And we can relate to that. I think when the heat's turned up, oftentimes we say things that we need to repent of. We can relate to this. But we also can relate to the psalmist here as he is hoping against hope. He believed even when he said, I am greatly afflicted. He is believing this. He's believing that God is good, that God is on his side, that God cares for him. You know, we've uttered those words that the father uttered when he wanted his son healed. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We think of the, the words of Job, where Job says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In our affliction, we can still praise the Lord. And then he starts declaring what he's going to do in response to all that the Lord has done for him. In verses 12 through 14, you know, it's very, it's very interesting. Because in verse 12, he starts out with a question. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? So we have this question. The Lord's been good to me. What am I going to do? Like, how am I going to respond to this? What comes first here? Is it his money? His time? Cattle on a thousand hills? No. Right after he asks the question about what he's going to give, he takes again. He says, I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And so again, we see here he's taking. We first receive grace upon grace. 
So first he takes and then he says he'll pay his vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And I, and I know if, if you spend your time around this building and you have people coming wanting help, sometimes you can give them that help. You can, if, if it's wise to do and you have uh, the, the, the funds or the resources to give, you give. And there are times where we've done this at Westminster and then someone's gone on their way and, and you know, things have been working out for them. And then there are other times where we've given to someone and they continue to come back and continue to come back. And that can be frustrating just in our humanity, right? It can be frustrating and we can get worn down. Compassion fatigue is what some, some have called it. The Lord does not get compassion fatigue with his saints who come to him and continually plead. He gives and he gives. So that's what we see here. He continues to declare throughout the end of the psalm that because all, of the, all that the Lord has done for him, he will live his life as one devoted to the Lord. You know, the psalm starts out speaking of this individual. You know, the focus on the individual. And sure, the Lord saves us as individuals. Sure, he cares for us as an individual. But here we see the community of faith coming into focus. This is a declaration of love, praise, and devotion. And it's not to stay at the individual level. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. But these words were to be shared in the worship gathering. He says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all the people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst. O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And this reminds me you know, of, of what the Apostle Paul tells us. I know y'all are going, I believe, going through Romans um, in the evenings. Maybe, I think so. And... Um, you know what, you're not at Romans 12 yet, but I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you've read it. You know, after 11 chapters of just straight gospel truth, Paul turns the corner and he says, In light of these great truths, you're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are his people who live and do all things for his glory. We belong to him. And therefore, we belong to one another. We do not neglect meeting together, but we come and stir one another up to love and good deeds that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We know that from Hebrews. And then I think of a Colossians chapter 3 where Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this is what we see the psalmist doing. He's going to declare these things in the congregation. It's a great thing. It's a sweet thing as we're singing to actually hear my brothers and sisters speaking truths about the Lord. Yes, we're singing to the Lord, but we're also singing to one another and we're being edified in that process. We're being reminded of who God is, what he's done, what he will do. So that's what we see. This prayer, this, or this pre declaration of love uh, praise and devotion. In the words of Psalm 116, they are beautiful in and of themselves. In their original context, you know, the psalmist had the, the covenant promises of God in mind. 
and remembered the deliverance from the Exodus. They were also remembering whatever current situation they were going through, the present uh, deliverance from peril. But you know what? They were waiting on the Messiah. They, 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 were, they were waiting and holding on to the promise of Genesis 3.15. And they were seeing Jesus from afar, but not yet receiving what was promised. But we know when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the curse of the law. The Messiah, Jesus, he would have the words of this psalm on his lips on the night in which he was betrayed, on the night in which he instituted the Lord's Supper and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He would have been reciting this psalm. The night he was betrayed and right before he would go to the cross. So think of these words on the lips of Jesus. You know, when we say, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, even our greatest declarations are tainted and tinged with sin. We know deep down it's not 100%, but I do want to love the Lord 100%, but I don't. But Jesus, what about him? Who has ever loved the Father and the Spirit in the way that Jesus Christ has? The perfect communion and love within the Trinity. Jesus' love never was waning. It never grew cold. He, the psalmist here says he was going to pay his vows in the midst of the congregation. Jesus truly would pay his vows and fulfill the role as redeemer of the covenant of redemption. The psalmist was suffering, distressed, and in anguish. Who has ever suffered more than Jesus Christ and been in more anguish than our Lord. In the garden of Gethsemane, praying, sweating drops of blood because he would soon lift up the cup of God's wrath on the cross and drink it to the dregs. Jesus would not just have the snares of death encompass him for a time, but he would be crucified in the place of sinners And death itself would encompass him. Jesus was brought low that the sinful would be saved. But we know that death could not hold our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The grave could not hold him for his body could not see corruption. And and by the power of the Spirit, he was raised from the dead. That's not a fable. That's truth. We believe that. He was raised from the dead. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. And he ever lives to make intercession for his people. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And this is the wonder of wonders. And so, as disciples... We declare our love for him because he has loved us first and he has heard our pleas for mercy. We declare our praises or his praises because he is gracious and merciful 
and righteous. He has delivered us from death. And we declare our devotion to him because he took the cup of wrath so that we could take the cup of blessing. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be reminded of your truth. May we walk out with love in our hearts for you because we have been reminded of the good things that you have done for us and and will continue to do for us. Will we pray for the lost in this town and throughout the Delta that we would have the boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel and that you, by your spirit, that you would draw men and women, old and young, to yourself